We're going to need to get into the Word of God because, as you probably know, um, if you're a visitor, maybe you don't, we have two sites, uh, and my name's John Groves, by the way, I'm one of the leaders here, and what we do is we preach at the two sites, so when I've finished here, I will disappear by about 11.20 or something and uh, go there. So we're sort of conscious of time and we have to be a bit like that, but it's still good to to enjoy God's presence together and a lovely time of worship earlier on. It doesn't feel rushed, really, and I don't want the word to feel rushed. I'd like to start by, and it's relevant, as you'll see, I'd like to start by just making a personal comment about the fact that it's Remembrance Sunday. We remember all those who <coughs> laid down their lives in various wars, various situations, to protect and defend this country. And uh, sometimes it hits me how grateful we should be that we have lived in a time of peace. I'm now getting on, I'm 68, and I have lived through my whole lifetime, this country has not been involved in a major war. I know them in small wars and many lay their lives down in those, which I am also grateful for. They often stop worse catastrophes. But my father and my mother lived through two world wars. And I often think about it. You think about your dad. My dad was called up towards the end of the First World War as an 18-year-old. He was in the Navy in the North Atlantic for two years on a battle cruiser. Then, he, he, you know, they recover. You know, life gets back to normal. There's the Second World War. And my dad was an air, air raid warden in uh, Tottenham in North London with the Blitz. Their house was bombed. Their house was pretty well wiped out. They were fortunately in the bomb shelter that night. And you just think, that's quite a lot to go through. (laughs) I haven't gone through any of that. And I'm just so grateful that I have enjoyed a period of peace. I just want to say, peace isn't automatic. We probably, every most of us in this room have enjoyed a relatively peaceful time throughout our lives. You need to be grateful for those who help to maintain the peace. But I am very grateful to them, but I am even more grateful for one who has established an even greater peace for me. So I've got two reasons for remembering and thanking today. One is genuinely the one I've just referred to, but the other is one that we're going to look at now for the next half hour or so together, that we have peace with God is incredibly important. It's important for every one of us. We're going to read a magnificent passage. I love it. There's many great passages in Romans. We're looking at Romans, by the way. We're going through a series, Hope for a Culture in Crisis. And we're looking today at Romans 5 and verses 1 to 11. And it's full of great stuff. So let's read it. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? 
For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, it looks wordy if you're not familiar with the Bible, but it's like a a, a goldmine of wonderful truths about what God has done for us as Christians. And if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus this morning, this should bless you, I hope and pray it does, and build your faith and encourage you. It's something you need to understand to enjoy your Christian life, what we're going to look at. If you're not yet a Christian, you can come and enjoy Enjoy this for yourself this morning. There'll be opportunities at the end if you wanted to pray with someone, but you can just do business with God as you listen to the Word of God because you also need not be excluded from these glorious truths. Well, in their context, the first verse starts with, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Paul is clearly building an argument. We're just getting a little snapshot right in the middle here of a long period of writing, which we've been looking at actually, which broadly speaking, this bit fits in with about from what we call chapter 3, verse 21, right through to what's just been finished at the end of chapter 4. And in that, Paul has been focusing that a Christian is someone who is justified by faith in Jesus. And that is what he's building on and now going to expand in these few verses. Now, justified by faith in Jesus, you've heard quite a bit about if you've been here for these last few weeks. So I don't need to spend long. I just need to give a headline because not everybody's been here for those weeks and some of you may be visiting for the first time. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, one way you can describe it, you come into being justified through your faith in Jesus. And that really is on this, uh, this is the broad shape of what that means. None of us are righteous. None of us stand innocent and perfect before God. We are, as it were, guilty. We're imperfect. We've done things we wish we hadn't. We know that. We probably haven't lived up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. We're damaged goods. We're, we're imperfect. We're unholy and God is holy. Holiness is a major element of God. Now you could say all God's attributes are equal but it's not quite as simple as that. You can get a clue in the Bible the ones that are really the top are repeated many times and when things are repeated three times that is hugely important. That's a big emphasis and in Isaiah 6 God is greeted by the angels holy, holy, holy. Three times. That is a hugely important truth. And unholy, sinful people cannot come into the presence of a holy God unless something's done about their sin. And Paul's been looking at that almost from a legal judgment point of view. Because justified is a legal term. And it means to be declared innocent. God has found a way for us to be declared innocent in his presence. And that way is through Jesus Christ who died for our sins. If you were to quickly think of it as a debt, we owe a huge debt we cannot pay off. But when Jesus died on the cross, he paid our debt. And actually, he did more than that. He credited to our account his righteousness. I mean, this is magnificent. And last time I preached, I think we were able to enjoy some of that. But just to remind you, that's the background we're now moving on from. Here's one little summary of that truth. If you could pop up. Thank you, Catherine. 
Romans 3 sort of crystallizes it. The righteousness is given, given to you, you don't earn it, given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. If you put faith in Jesus, this can be true of you. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. We could add every other race, every other class and type. It's not about you or your background. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what I was just explaining. And all are justified, made innocent, made clean, freely by his grace, free gift, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That is wonderful stuff. And Paul's been writing about it. He's now going to move on from what might be called legal terminology to more relational terminology. And we're going to see that in these next few minutes. He's moving beyond that's the, you're, If you're justified by faith, that's wonderful, but it means a lot more. And in order to do that, I want to take three things. I want to look at three points, which are really in the first two verses. Three phrases I want to pick up. But I will make reference to the other verses just to support them. But to be honest, if I was going to go right through these 11 verses in detail, you'd be here a lot longer than half an hour. So, because it's so great, it's not because, well, it is partly because I'm talkative. And, but, you know, that's, that's not the issue today. It's got so much great stuff in it. Okay, let's look at these things. Here's the first one. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God okay Paul's building it out when you understand what Jesus has done for you one aspect of that when you're justified by faith you have peace with God now this is the one I want to spend a little longer on than the other two but let's just let it sink in this peace with God is the fundamental truth you need to grasp brothers and sisters to enjoy your Christian life It is absolutely awesome, but it's ever so important. It's very easy to think the most important thing of your faith is what it does for you personally. And it does do a lot of stuff, and a lot of things happen in your life. But the most important thing is what it has done in your relationship with God, which actually all the rest comes out of. You, through Jesus, have peace with God. Later on, the word reconciliation comes in. If you quickly glance, it's verses 10 and 11. We were reconciled to him, that's God. We have now received reconciliation. This is where we're moving into language of relationship. It's not just you're declared innocent before the law courts of heaven, before the holy judge, which God is. He has reconciled you to himself. Now that he's removed the problem, you have peace with God. You are now a friend of God. God is your friend. You actually become a child of God. That's a whole big subject. But actually, this is not merely that, okay, that squared it up. I'm declared innocent. Phew, I got away with it. Or I'm forgiven, you know, like as though I'm let off or something. It's much, much more than that. Those things that God had against me, those things that caused me to be at loggerheads with God have been removed And I am now reconciled to the creator of the universe, who is my heavenly father. He's my friend. He's my friend. My covenant friend, actually. I have been reconciled through the blood of Jesus, and I have peace with God. Now, we are often, rightly, concerned about inner peace. 
our own peace, peace in our hearts, having some peace in our lives. Everyone is looking for peace. That's clear. There's lots of conflict and misery and, and turmoil in the world. And what most people want is a peace somehow, an inner peace and a peace in their lives. Many people are earnestly seeking it and sometimes desperately seeking for peace of mind. All sorts of things are manifestations of that. The way people almost run after things to try and resolve restlessness and unhappiness. Things like drugs and drink and money and sex and relationships, pleasure, work, uh, self-satisfaction in things, physical fitness, being famous in some way, getting loads of likes or followers or whatever it, way it works out for you, giving yourself to good causes, trying to put things right in the world and with the planet. You feel there's a restlessness in people. They're trying to find peace. Now, our primary need is peace with God. And other peace works out from that. We will have our own personal inner peace out from that. There is another phrase in the Bible, the peace of God. You'll find that in Philippians 4.7. And when you've got peace with God, you will have the peace of God. That's in your heart. And actually, as you become someone who knows the Prince of Peace, you will begin to bring peace to your environment. You will begin to bring peace to the conflicts around you. You will be a peacemaker. In conflicts at work or in the family or even in our world, you can make a difference. But it all starts with you fully getting and fully enjoying that you have peace with God. Peace with God. And that is fundamental and the basis on which the others work out. Peace with God. You know, it's very common for people generally, and I think many of us in this room could, even, even as Christians, we can slip into this, to think that basically God is like a Father Christmas or something. He's, some, some, he's basically a kindly, loving, good person. Like a big, kindly, loving, good person. Well, of course he's good and of course he's love. But he's much more than that. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. He is holy beyond our understanding. He made us for himself. We belong to him. He is sovereign over all. And we as sinners and rebels have got a huge problem. We do not naturally find ourselves in a warm glow with God. We're not. Actually, a phrase enemies is used here. We are naturally enemies of God. You say, well, I'm not. I think I can almost help you to see you are, if, if you like. If I push this truth pretty hard that God is holy and just and righteous and you are a sinner under his judgment and wrath you will begin to get angry until you know Jesus if I just tell you well God loves you all and it's all right you'll say oh that's nice that's I thought he would yeah no I'm telling you the truth and that will sometimes reveal the truth in you People don't feel all warm and cuddly when you start talking about sin and judgment and holiness and righteousness. But we have to talk about it because it actually brings out the truth. Like a good doctor 
won't just give you aspirins for a pain, he'll begin to say, well, this pain is a bit more deep-seated. We're going to have to look at what it is because it might need some serious treatment. And sometimes we have to do that. And actually, as we talk about God as holy, righteous, he does all things well, he is your creator, you are under him, answerable to him, he knows the end from the beginning, he is holy, and he expects and needs a resolving of your sin problem, your rebellion problem, you either begin to get why Jesus had to die, I hope that's where you end up, or you get quite cross and restless and irritated because actually you are not naturally at peace with God. You're not. You're not naturally in harmony with the creator. Actually, you're in disharmony. And something had to happen to put that right. And it did happen when Jesus died on the cross. And your peace with God comes out of your understanding what Jesus did on the cross and believing it. I could take you to many verses in the New Testament, but I'm just going to flag up very quickly too. Look at Colossians 1.20. Through him, that's Jesus, to recon- no, sorry, yes, through Jesus to reconcile to himself. This is cutting in on what God did. Through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That is the only way you can have peace with God. It's not by doing good, trying to improve your life, trying to uh, meditate, trying to clean up something. In No, 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 no. None of that. The peace with God starts with what Jesus did, not what you do. And from that, you can work out and find God bringing peace into your life and ultimately you will change. Let's look at another one, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, far away from God and from each other actually, have been brought near, but far away from God's what we're focusing on. You who once were far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see the importance that you understand this? This is the thing that is fundamental. I have peace with God. He loves me and accepted me. And his love was reflected in, he made this peace when I wasn't a peacemaker myself. Very quickly, verse 6 of 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless, we were ungodly, ungodlike, that means we were meant to be godlike, made in his image. We were ungodlike. We were sinners and rebels, and yet Christ died for us. The next one, 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ Jesus achieved the peace that you enjoy. Like I didn't achieve the peace in this nation I enjoyed. Others died for that. This much more profoundly and deeply says Jesus died on the cross so that I can have peace with God. And I need to enjoy it and stand in it. God has reconciled me to himself. I didn't do the reconciling. One last verse from this section before we move on. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is the message of reconciliation this morning. You can be reconciled to God now. 
You can know you have peace with God. Justified by faith in Jesus, peace with God, you can know that, enjoy it, and live in the good of it. I pray you do. Let's move quickly on to the next one. Since we've been justified by faith, we have access to God and we stand in grace. Now, I am not got the time to overdo this one, but it's all based on the first one, really. There's nothing between God and me now. As I stand before you this morning, I am at peace with God, and so can you be. I can be reconciled to God, so can you. I can be, he's my friend, and he's your friend, okay? Through Jesus. Then he says this, we have access to God and we stand in grace. Access to God. We can come boldly and easily to the living God because there's no problem. There's nothing between him and us. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the Greek tense of this word about access to God emphasizes that this is something that has happened once and for all. In other words, this access is established. It's not occasionally, it's not on a good day, it's not like just once or twice in your lifetime. You have a permanent access to God. You can go into his presence at any time. You live in his presence, really, because of this wonderful truth that you're justified and you're at peace with God. So again in the New Testament we have verses that touch on this. Let's quickly look at two from Ephesians. Thank you Catherine. For through him, 2 verse 18, through Jesus again, we both, that's Jew and Gentile in this case, have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Just look at that simple sentence. Do you believe it? I do. You have access to the God of all creation, who is your Father in heaven, your heavenly Father, because of what Jesus did and through the work of the Spirit in your life, the Trinity involved. You come into the Father's presence, the Spirit aids you and helps you in your praying and worshipping and it's all based on what Jesus has done, not on what you've done. It's wonderful stuff. Look at the next verse, which is 3.12, Ephesians. In him and through faith in him, that's Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Do you un- that's why you've got to understand the truth. You've got to do truth. You've got to do doctrine. You can't be fluffy about it. You've got to understand why you can come with freedom and confidence. It's no good. It's not about warm feelings. Oh, well, God's lovely, so he's bound to let me because he's lovey-dovey or he's a good father. He's a good, good father. Yeah, he is a good father. Do you know why he's a good father? Do you stand confidently on that ground with confidence and freedom because you know you have access? You have a VIP pass to the, king, to the heart of the universe, to the throne of God. You can come boldly to your heavenly Father because of what Jesus has done. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truth. And one of the ways we can work that out is in prayer, which we haven't time to explore. This is a sort of prayer promise. You can come boldly through Jesus and in the power of the Spirit and you can ask your heavenly Father for anything. You can have a free and open, as it were, conversation with him. 
And it says also in the same sentence, and we stand in grace. Oh, every word. I understand Martin Lloyd-Jones. I do understand him. Every word needs a 20-minute sermon, honestly. You stand in grace. Now, the word stand means stand fast. It means you're planted or set in grace or established in grace. Grace means favour. It means favour. So if you're a Christian and put faith in Jesus, stupid old you and stupid old me, scruffy old you, scruffy old me, half-baked you, half-baked me, nothing to do with you, everything to do with Jesus, you stand in the favour of God. You are planted in the favour of God. You live in the favour of God. You have access 24 hours, 24-7 to the presence of God and you stand in grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's favour, undeserved favour. I mean, it's good. Is this not good? Yes. I mean, it, you go out there and you all, I don't care, with due respect, what you're facing this week, you can go out boldly. Not because it's unimportant what you're facing. I'm not being trivial. But you are coming as a child of God. You're coming with access to God. You're coming standing in grace. You are at peace with God. Whoever's against you, he's not. Whatever else, you know, whatever enemies you have, you don't have an enemy in God any longer. However much he, well, I don't quite understand what's going on. He has accepted you in the beloved one, Jesus. You stand in favour. Come and use your access pass. Get into the VIP presence of God. It's better than that, actually. It's a child to a father. And come and bring your requests with thanksgiving. Finally, on this, what we're saying this morning, we move on to the third one. Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love that. I do love this stuff. I hope you realise that. I love it. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, rejoice is in some translations. I don't know where I got this one from. I think I might be ESV. In the NIV, it says boast, doesn't it? If you've got NIV, you're oh, it says boast. Well, yes, it does say boast. And actually, boast is a quite a good translation. Bless their little hearts, the NIV. Because... This word means this, according to something I read. I'm not an expert. The Greek word means to exalt joyfully and confidently. I, my interpretation of what I read is this. The word here is like punching the air in exhilaration when you win something. Yes! Woohoo! You, yes, whoa, in the glory of God and the hope of the glory of God. He said, well, what does that mean? Well, I think Paul is heading up that when you are justified by faith, when you have uh, peace with God, when you are in his presence, standing in his favour, you are confident you will see the glory of God. There is no doubt you can cheer as though you were there, you will be with him in heaven. There is not a shade of doubt. You couldn't boast in something if there was any doubt about it. You can't go, whoa, when you haven't, no, oh, I might not have it. That's a bit stupid, isn't it? You know, you're at the semi-finals, you know, rugby or something, and you go, whoa, we're going to be world champions. You idiots, you weren't. And so you only do this when you are confident. It's biblical hope. 
I will see Jesus face to face. Again, I have a number of scriptures, but let's look at them quickly because we've got five minutes. Quickly. I'm not going to unpack them, just enjoy them. John 17, verse 24. Jesus prays this for you and me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. We're going to see Jesus and see his glory. Whoa! That's good. I'm looking forward to it. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall fully know even as I'm fully known. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. It says in, with this one isn't on, don't worry Catherine, you won't find it. It says in 1 John 3, 2, when we get there, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be in glory and glorified. You're justified. You're definitely glorified. In a sense, not fully, but it's as certain as you're justified. You will look... You will look different. You'll be you, you still. I'll be me still, but I'll be a glorified me. I'll, be, I'll have a Christ-like body, a new body. I'll have, I'll have all the stuff that's wrong will be completely gone. And actually, it's not really only then. The process, I mean, this is a little complicated, but it's actually true. The process starts now. I have a down payment of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? That's another scripture, not on the screen. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you have Jesus in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. He is a down payment of glory. And he brings glory. You get tastes of glory. You get foretastes of glory. It is literally described that way. Tasting the age to come. It's not the full meal. It's just like a taster. Oh, It'll be so much better. It's beyond our imagination what it'd be like to be with him. And we know we're going to be there. There's no doubt. You can boast in it. Boast? Yeah, boast. I'm not sure if that's the right word. The Greek word is more exalt. Exalt is triumphantly rejoice. I triumphantly rejoice. Everything is done. I will see him face to face. And I rejoice even in the face of difficulties. Which is what Paul is sort of saying in the verses we haven't even looked at. When he says difficulties like perseverance make me, you know, suffering makes me persevere and stuff. He's really tying it all in with this. Look, whatever you meet, it's only ultimately working towards this. Sometimes it's refining us. Sometimes it's making us find more of the glory here. We have to use more of our access and pray in time of need at the throne of grace. We have miracles and answers. Sometimes we just have to persevere and we're changed from the inside out and more of the glory shines in our face. But all the time, we are never, whatever happens, having any doubt that we're going to be with him. Amen? And that we are not in some way certain. We're not, not justified. We are justified. We have peace with God. We are on the road to full glorification. And one of the ways things work towards that end is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So the very last scripture is a reminder of that from Romans 5, what we're looking at. Paul says this, the hope does not put us to shame. So we're now, yeah, thank you, we're winding up. <laughs> the hope does not put us to shame. 
because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's sort of what I was saying a few moments ago. It's not only a future hope, there's a present experience of it. Being reconciled to God, having peace with God is wonderful stuff, but it is not merely theoretical. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. There's no problem now with him living. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Once upon a time, we were such unholy, uh, terrible sort of rebel people that you couldn't imagine the Holy Spirit could live with us. But Jesus has cleared us up, cleaned us up. We are made righteous. And now we begin to have the Holy, Holy Spirit living in us. And our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that itself reminds you how much God loves you and how much Jesus has done for you. And right here in this verse, as we close, let me say this. We can read this verse, I've done it, and primarily think that means God puts his love in my heart for other people, which actually he does do, and that's nice to think about. But most of the commentaries, all of the ones I read, said actually this is not What's the emphasis here? The language, and I quote from one very erudite commentator, the language suggests something internal, subjective, emotional. You experience a love that is real to you. This is God's love in your heart. God's saying to you, I love you. So this is about the Holy Spirit brings assurance. He, you sometimes you say, well, I don't always feel that. Well, ask for more of the Holy Spirit. It's not that God doesn't love you, but the Holy Spirit's job, one of his jobs is to fill you with a sense of God's love. Isn't that great? One of his jobs is to pour the love of God into your heart. Yeah, you'll love other people when you know that, but that's not about that. It's about you. It's about saying, oh, Lord, fill me with your love. And actually, this is spontaneous I hasten to say to all those who are wondering how we're going to end we're going to end by you standing and I'm going to pray and I'm going to disappear I'm going to pray that you that you know a fresh experience of God's love this morning it may be through the words I've preached I hope they've helped it may be just a work of the spirit in your heart but Lord I pray Holy Spirit come this morning and pour into every heart here an awareness of your love for them. That they are accepted in Jesus Christ. That they have peace with you. That yet they are welcomed into your presence with access easily and boldly and freely. With confidence and freedom they can come. Lord, may there be a fresh experience of your love in every heart this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Jesus, it's because of you. And may you be glorified through this. Thank you, Lord. Amen.